Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, did we get a conditional pass or a distinction in the second business interruption test case? Yes, the second COVID-19 business interruption test case ruling is in, but much like a broken abacus, can we count on it? Another consumer group is calling for action to make it more difficult for motor policyholders to lie. Sorry, I mean inadvertently fail to disclose an accurate history of bad driving. And depending on the way you look at the meteorological statistics, either there's a 65% chance of more cyclones than usual this summer, or an 80% chance that I'm making up statistics on the spot. Hello everyone. On the panel today are Managing Editor John Deeks and Deputy Editor Wendy Pugh. The whereabouts of Benice Han and Terry McMullen are unknown at this stage. Hello, John. Uh, morning. Have you ever failed a test? I think I might have mentioned this before. I got 4% in a biology test once, but um, <laughs> ended up with an A in the end. So well, that's, a, that's a big improvement. A big improvement. Good morning to you, Wendy. Good morning. Any tests that you've failed? Um, well, there was a piano examination that didn't go very well at all. So um, I don't think my future lay in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> well, our listeners are all the uh, more glad that that, uh, that that was not the uh, or the direction you chose to take. So as we announced on Friday, the second COVID-19 business interruption test case ruling is in. Wendy, I'm not saying you have no life, but you spent Friday evening listening to Justice Jane Jago's judgment. So I never have to try and say that again. Can you sum up the ruling for us and what it means? Well, it was overwhelmingly a win for the insurers. The hearing uh, looked at whether COVID-related cover applied under a range of clauses. And Justice Jago's decision was that uh, other, in one of the, other than in one of the cases, those insuring clauses did not provide cover. So in that one case, which involved a Melbourne travel agent, cover still might not be available because it was really um, a ban on cruise ships and international travel that had the impact on the business rather than the presence of COVID within nearby location of the uh, travel agent. But um, one point that did go against insurers involved another effort to have the uh, Quarantine Act exclusion wordings apply, uh, at least in Victoria. But uh, Justice Jago uh, didn't agree with insurers on that. But there's still some way to run with a... um, full court appeal uh, scheduled to take place from November 8th. Well, John, this didn't pan out the way it did in the UK, did it? No, that's right. It's significantly different. The UK test case ruling was a bit of a mixed bag, but it's fair to say the insurers lost heavily overall and it got even worse after appeals. More than a billion dollars in claims has already been paid out over there. To fully understand why there's such a different outcome, you'd probably need to wade through hundreds of pages of legal documents But there is one obvious difference. The spread of COVID in the UK dwarfed the situation here. So an insured would have no difficulty there proving that there'd been an outbreak within a certain distance of their premises. Here in Australia, that's not such an easy task, especially if you're not in Melbourne. Well, there's going to be a lot of upset small business owners and probably some backlash against the industry. Is this a battle worth winning for insurers? Yes, I think it is. There's a lot at stake financially, and I'm not convinced it's any better for the industry's reputation if they lose. If they lost, the businesses would be compensated, but people would just say that insurers tried to wriggle out of paying legitimate claims. It's tough for small business owners, and there's huge sympathy for them for what they've been through, but insurers have to stand behind what they think is the correct interpretation of their policies. And one thing they've always been clear about is that pandemics were not intended to be covered. Well, Wendy, one consumer group is calling for action on disclosure around motor insurance, saying that it would help stop claims being denied. Can you run through this one? Well, the Financial Rights Legal Centre wants governments and insurers to develop um, a system so that when people are filling in online forms to get insurance, 
their driving records and claims histories are automatically pre-filled. And this is because so often people leave out information because they've forgotten about it or they don't have the records themselves. Uh, then something will happen and a claim will be denied for non-disclosure. But all this information they need about themselves is sitting there in other um, databases. John, isn't the answer simple? Just don't lie when you're asked questions during the policy setup. Well, yeah, it does help if you don't lie, but it, I know I don't believe it is quite that simple. It's certainly possible for people to make a genuine mistake when answering a question like, "How many claims have you had in the last five years?" People are also sometimes answering questions on behalf of another named driver, increasing the chances of an inaccuracy. And non-disclosure can also occur at renewal which is a little bit harsh because you're not being asked the questions directly. You're just expected to go through your renewal document and let the insurer know of any changes. And as we know, many people don't pay proper attention to renewal documents. And even if people do lie, the consumer groups would argue that it's far better to catch that lie at the start rather than let people drive around with fake insurance that only gets exposed at claims time when it could also impact other road users. Part of this relates to the consumer data right or CDR, doesn't it, Wendy? Yeah, the CDR, CDR aims to facilitate that sort of transfer of data and give consumers greater say over the access and use of their personal information by businesses. So it was introduced into um, banking last July, um, and the plan is to gradually roll it out across other sectors, uh, ultimately including insurance. Well, InsureTech Australia has something to say on this as well, didn't they, John? Yes. Outgoing CEO Rita Yates says the CDR could help address the industry's image problem over a perceived lack of transparency. She writes in a blog post that allowing information held by a consumer's insurer to be accessed by other insurers or comparators has many potential benefits. It could ensure that customers are comparing like with like when they're getting quotes and enable them to have more control of the process. Ms. Yates says that the consumer would be in the driver's seat in terms of telling insurance providers what they require and they would be able to share the data held by their insurer to accurately disclose information about prior claims history and other material that's relevant to the risk. Insured in the driver's seat. What a great pun. Love that. Well, the Bureau of Meteorology has released its cyclone outlook for the coming season. John, just how terrified do we need to be? Well, we don't necessarily need to be terrified, but we, sh we should be prepared. The Bureau says there's a 65% chance of more cyclones than usual this season. Thanks in part to a potential La Nina that's brewing in the Pacific. The Australian season sees an average of nine to 11 cyclones, four of which typically cross the coast. So I guess we can expect at least that this time around. In La Nina years, the first cyclone to make landfall on the Australian coast typically, typically occurs earlier than normal, around the middle of December, compared with early January in average years. I always like to look at the cyclone names that are coming up. And next in line is Cyclone Paddy, which sounds ominous. Then it's Ruby, Seth and Tiffany, which sound a bit nicer before we get hit by Cyclone Vernon, which if it's anything like Harry Potter's uncle could be nasty. Well, talking of Cyclone, how's this Cyclone reinsurance pool tracking, Wendy? Treasury completed consultations on a preliminary paper on the pool proposal back in June, but they haven't released anything further since then. The Treasury Task Force has uh, been receiving input from an expert advisory panel and um, a separate non-technical panel. But it's been a fairly sort of confidential sort of process so far, so they haven't been uh, doing a lot of uh, more public uh, discussions. So we're 
still awaiting to see uh, more specific data details on how it will operate. Well, in other news, John, AFCA has released a summary of complaints made in the last financial year. What are the key points that our listeners should be aware of? Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, AFCA says they had almost 17,000 general insurance complaints lodged, and that made up about 24% of overall disputes. Banking and finance was the, made up the largest share of cases at 60%. But in insurance, comprehensive motor was the most complained about product with 4,386, followed by home building, travel, home contents, and motor uninsured third party. There were about 8,000 COVID-related complaints submitted, and there are, AFCA says there are 165 complaints waiting in the wings in relation to insurance cover for small businesses on business interruption. So I guess once the courts make it clear what what sort of precedent AFCA should follow, those complaints will get dealt with. So yeah, AFCA's annual review is is out and there's a, a wealth of information that people can dive into if they want to find out more. Well, our journalists read through a fair few of these AFCA determinations. Are we picking up any trends? Yeah, there, there are some trends. And 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 frankly, it's, it's quite hard sometimes to find an issue that hasn't already been dealt with. So uh, real favourites are things around water leaks. So experts in, in this area will know that policies generally cover sudden water leaks, like a burst pipe or, or something like that, but gradual seeping or leaks that are down to general wear and tear wouldn't be covered. And, and one exclusion relates to shower recesses. So leaks that are coming out the bottom of your shower aren't covered. And we see so many complaints to Africa about claims being denied in that area. There's always the old favourite of flood versus storm. So somebody's been flooded at their premises and they try to claim, but the insurer says, no, it's it's flood from a river and you don't have flood cover. There's the disclosure issues that we've talked about. They come up time and time again where somebody puts in a claim only to be told, no, you didn't disclose that you had a license suspension or that you'd had 50 claims in the last five years or whatever. So, yeah, we see the same things coming up over and over again. One recent one that was a bit new is relates to car values. I've seen a couple relating to market value cover. So people trust the insurer to basically say what replacement value they should get when their car is written off. And with COVID, the price of secondhand vehicles has soared. So people are saying, well, hang on, I've got uh, $7,000 here, but I'm never going to be able to replace my car for that. So that's a new issue that we've seen starting to pop up. Well, if people are constantly complaining about the same issues over again, does this mean the industry isn't communicating very well about what's covered and what's not, Wendy? Well, I mean, it shouldn't have to be um, that difficult for people and the industry to be able to understand, you know, what's covered and what's not. I mean, and it's in everyone's interest really for it to be as clear class as possible, um, which I think is why there, you know, there are calls for more um, standardization, standardization to sort of simplify and streamline definitions and documentation. And in the SME context, the recent uh, Trowbridge report for the ICA recommended forming a working group to look at those sort of issues. So that, that might go some way to helping. I think it just goes to prove that uh, trying to cover all manner of risks in a legal document is fairly complicated. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks and Wendy Pugh. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. 
You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, on all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.